Welcome to Story and Horse, a podcast where we hear stories from creative lives. Meet new people, hear about their challenges and triumphs, and get inspired to move forward with your creativity. Now here's your host, Hilary Adams. Hello, thanks for joining us on the Story and Horace podcast. I'm your host, Hilary Adams. I'm a creative coach, theater director, and founder of Story and Horse. I offer personalized coaching for creative people. And here on the podcast, I share stories from creative lives. Today, we are joined by Nicole Grevy. Nicole is a producer, writer, and actor, and she is a producer and writer of the award-winning fiction podcast, Uncanny County. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with a little bit about who you are. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to. Um, all right. Well, I uh, live in New York City now, although I grew up in small town Pennsylvania. I came to New York for college and then stayed. Uh, currently in pre-production for season three of Uncanny County. So it's been a lot of writing. Uh, I am an, a huge, huge, huge horse lover which goes all the way back to when I was a very small child. I had briar models. I, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my briars. Um, and uh, I'm also, my husband Todd, who's the co-creator of Uncanny County, along with Allison Crane, uh, is also an actor. And uh, our son is, who is 11, Griffin. And uh, he can currently be seen on season two of Raising Dion on Netflix, which was uh, quite the adventure to go film in Atlanta early last year. And Uncanny County can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also you can hear the episodes straight on our website, uncannycounty.com. And you can follow us on uh, Twitter. And I'm, I'm not sure if we have Instagram, but I know we have Twitter. Mm. And Uncanny County is an unusual podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is and what its genre Absolutely. Um, I love to talk about it. Uh, it's an anthology series, so it's not serialized. Each story stands on its own. Um, if I was going to do the Meets story, I would say it would be The Twilight Zone meets the Coen Brothers because it's sort of a supernatural horror comedy uh, set mostly in sort of a fictional area of the American Southwest, although. We like to say that Uncanny County can actually be anywhere. So there are certainly episodes that don't fit themselves into that niche quite as specifically. And uh, it's been such a joy to to write and work on over the past few years. And it operates a little bit more like a radio play. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And that has been uh, one of the things that's been really fun to write is uh, that I think fiction podcasts are sort of taking us back to that idea of sitting and listening to a story. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm also a playwright, but the thrill of writing for radio, so to speak, because in my head, that's what I think of it as, um, it, it's, it's just, it's a great deal of fun because you really are thinking, I need to create the story that the person's going to be seeing behind their eyelids, so to speak, while they're listening to it. How do I use sound to do that? And in the comedic parts, how do I use sound to be funny? How do I use sound to be scary? Um, for a writer, it's, it's really been a lot of fun to take you beyond even thinking about just the written word that the actors will speak and onto this entire uh, soundscape that you're creating for the listener. What is your favorite sound effect that you have used in the 
in in the podcast. I know exactly the one. Um, in the first episode that I wrote for the show, which is in season one, it's called Mother Loves You, um, there is a squelching sound that uh, I don't even want to say what it's for because I don't want to spoil it. But uh, it was one of those moments where um, when I was writing it, I was thinking about how when I watch movies and, and television shows, I'm a huge fan of funny in the background. Like when something is happening in the front, but there's something really funny happening in the background. I, I just love that as a comedic bit. It gets me every time. And so I thought, how do I do funny in the background in this particular scene? And so this sound effect, I went through a lot of squelches. Um, to try and find exactly the right one. Like, you can get very particular about squelches when you go looking for them. But yeah, by far, that is still my absolute favorite. Squelch is a fantastic word. Isn't it? So when you're writing one of your episodes, where does the inspiration come from? Uh, It comes from any number of different things, but I am a particular fan of kind of something happening in life, sometimes just a minor thing that then will kind of stick in your brain for a bit. Uh, Another of the episodes that I wrote for the first season, Rainbow Magic Kittens, came about because my nephew, who is an awesome kid, um, when he was four or five, had worked out this whole story about these Rainbow Magic Kittens that he would tell. And he would go for, you know, 10 minutes at a time telling you stories. And the whole just Rainbow Magic Kittens stuck in my head. And the story I came up with was considerably different from any of the stories that he had been telling. But that was the inspiration, the the title. And then I just kind of had to sit with it for quite a while until the story I wanted to tell with it came. Um, another one, uh, the Ridgeway Motel, came about because uh, on the way home from my father's funeral, actually, uh, my husband and I drove past an old motel that had a sign out on their billboard out front that said, every 24 hours is a fresh start. And... Todd said, oh, that would be a good jumping off point for an Uncanny County episode. And I was like, yes, can I have it? And he generously, since we were just coming back from my dad's funeral, said, yes, you can have it. And once again, it was then just sitting with it for, I'm a slow writer. So for me, it's sitting with it for several months until I figure out what the story is. Hmm. For you, does the story um, arrive in your head, in your being? And then you write it down or does it appear as you put pen to paper or uh, fingers to keyboard? A little bit of both. I know for myself as a creative writer, one of the steps I'm continuing to make on my journey through life is to let myself have that bad first draft. Um, I tend to do, I think, what a lot of us do, which is start judging the writing as soon as you're doing it. And so it can take me a stretch before I sit down to start the story because I want to have what I think is the outline in my head. But invariably, I find that as I'm writing, the story itself starts to take over. And I will run into a roadblock that in my head wasn't there, but as the words are on the paper is there, and then I have to stop and rethink. And I will often finish a first draft and then put it away for quite a while and then come back to it uh, because there's problems in the story and I need that distance from it to be able to see it and figure out, you know, the the new roads that you um, build when the roadblocks are too much for you to find a way around. And time and space gives you that it sort of arrives. Then when you take it back out, you can see it differently, hear it differently. Yeah. And I think, too, that writing is such an incredibly vulnerable and emotional thing to do that it's almost like a relationship. You know, you need 
sometimes when relationships end, you need that distance from them, and then you can look at them um, uh, with a sort of a clearer eye. And I find that when I write something, I'm the same way. Like, if I put it away for a little while, I come back and I can see the problems, but without it causing me any sort of anxiety. Then it's just a problem to be fixed rather than, oh, my gosh, I'm the worst writer ever. How could I have not managed to find a solution to this problem? Do your characters surprise you sometimes with what they do or say? They do. They surprise me in that they often go into completely different directions from what I had planned. You know, mm-hmm. the the villain turns out to be considerably more complicated than I had thought they were. And uh, and I think that's one of the joy of creating characters, that they'll eventually start to talk to you in their own voices in your head. And uh, And I love that moment when they start to sort of take over. And then you have to shape and kind of mold what they're doing, but it's a really exciting moment when you realize they've started to become their own thing. And you um, act as one of the characters, is that correct? I do, yeah. I've played a number of different parts in uh, episodes, but overall we have a couple recurring characters that appear in several of the episodes, Um, the main ones being the sheriff of the town, Sheriff Jane Rowland, who I play, and then her deputy, Deputy Dillard. And for Deputy Dillard, every day is always his first day. It's just one of the uh, little sort of things we have created for the show is that every day is Deputy Dillard's first day. And uh, Roland is someone who has grown up in the town and never left it. So um, her knowledge and affection for the town is is huge. But we've also seen her character kind of evolve as the seasons of the show have gone by. Little bits more about her past and who she was start to come out. And that's been great fun to explore. That's a pretty complex relationship then. Do you, do you write her as well as act her? Now I, I do. Um, I didn't initially. I left that to Todd, who created the character. And because I also felt the... I was very excited to get to play her, but I didn't want to step on his toes as a writer. Uh, but then when I did The Ridgeway Motel, it was my first real attempt at writing her into a story. And Todd gave me a great compliment afterwards. We finished and he was like, well, now I'm going to have to make sure you look at Roland's lines when anybody writes her to make sure it's right before we go ahead and record. And I was very, very touched. I love the juxtaposition of the brand new deputy and the sage uh, sheriff who's been in the town the whole time. There's just excellent dramatic tension built into that. Um, yeah, and, and our our actor, who's also uh, one of the producers, Bill Frankie, who plays uh, Deputy Dillard, is hilarious. He's just got marvelous comedic timing and just finds stuff in the the lines that, as the writer, you didn't even realize were there. <laughs> so um, I know you love stories. Do you have a creatively themed story you can share with us today? I do. So this was one that was a big creative lesson for me when uh, I was writing the Ridgeway Motel. As I said, I got the idea for it. Every 24 hours is a fresh start. And then went away and sat on it. And it was shaping up into some themes I wanted to explore. Kind of there was a sibling rivalry thing that comes in. Um, uh, the, The premise of it, not to give too much away, is that there is a motel in Uncanny County where people can go stay in it and actually get a do-over for things in their life um, that may not have gone the way they wanted to. And so I was starting to explore that idea. And one of the things that was coming out of it was the thought about how a thousand little things that you don't think about combine to bring you to where you are at any given point in your life. And uh, I have a friend who I did a show with many years ago who's a very gifted singer-songwriter, And he had done a one-man show that I had gone to see at the Fringe Festival about his uh, life in the the music business. 
And one of the songs that he performed really stood out to me. It was called No Accidents, and it's basically about that. In this case, it was a love song about all the little things that happened to bring these two people together. And I thought, oh, that would be great to put in Uncanny County. And so I reached out to him and I said, Ned, can I can I use this song? And he was like, sure. And he sent me an MP3 of it. And it's a great song. But as I was listening to it, it occurred to me that he had written the song like 20 some years previously and recorded it then. And so it sounded like a song that had been recorded 20 years previously. You know, music has their, you know, you hear any pop song and you can usually guess within 10 or 15 years when it was recorded because each time has its own sounds. And so I had at this point really latched on to that I wanted to work this song into the episode. But now I was in the position of using a song that sounded 20 years old and wanting to make it work within the constraints of the story. And so it was a lot of mulling and a lot of figuring out, and it actually wound up shaping where a lot of the story went. My my incredible desire to get this song in, in a way that was plausible, and in a way that uh, paid homage to the fact that it didn't sound like a contemporary song. And I wound up being so happy with where the episode ended up, because it really did bring in some some additional themes of loss and nostalgia and what could have been um, in ways that I don't think would have been there had I not been trying so hard to bring this this song in. It wound up aging up the characters who were in the episode. It just wound up changing a lot of things. And I thought afterwards, this is where those, you know, like those the, the fun 24-hour playwriting festivals that you do where you're given like a prop, a line, and, you know, an expletive or something. And Everybody who writes it has to go away and include those three things. And I thought it was a great reminder that sometimes a limiting idea can foster incredible creativity. Like, it's often worth taking the time with a constraint and looking at it as an opportunity rather than something that's holding you back. That's my story on uh, the Ridgeway Motel, which I hope listeners will listen to because I was really proud of it. And the song really is lovely. Um, Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, we've heard this before on this podcast, and I think it's a really important idea that sometimes limitations bring um, great creativity. And in this case, you had an inspiration that you were determined to fit into this, and really it became a catalyst for an entire exploration of how to put the episode together, if I understood correctly, that you might have not um, come to without that. Is that correct? Yes. And what was really interesting to me as it shaped the episode is I really had envisioned the song maybe just being at the end credits or just at one point, and it wound up evolving into a motif that went the whole way through the uh, the episode. And that wound up being kind of really exciting, too, as you're writing to be like, oh, and you know what's playing on the radio in this moment. Uh, so that was also kind of really fun as a writer to discover that the song itself really became a character in the, uh, in the, the episode rather than just being something I had envisioned as sort of a background. Oh, look, the lyrics fit the theme. The song itself kind of took over and became its own character as well. What a fascinating idea. Song is a character. Hmm. Has that happened before in these episodes or in other explorations? No, this was a new one for me, and it may have been because I was taking someone else's creative piece and wanting to make sure that I honored it and respected it as its own work of art, uh, 
within the context of the story without it, it overpowering or taking away from the story that I was trying to tell. Uh, there's music in Rainbow Magic Kittens as well, but that was music that was specifically written and uh, – I don't want to say what it is because, again, I don't want to spoil the surprise. But uh, that was music that was specifically uh, uh, created by a marvelous songwriter who's written some other stuff for us to um, to put into that episode. Mm-hmm. Storytelling through sound. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. Somehow storytelling through sound, at least for me, gets into my body in a way. I feel it kinesthetically. Um, when you listen to the storytelling in this or other um, podcasts that you sound is there anything different for you in the experience? One of the things I love that uh, podcasts, I think, is that technology is more accessible uh, to to those of us, you know, doing it ourselves, uh, has made possible is when sound gets placed in different areas. Uh, like I'm a huge, I love surprises. And so I I like when I'm listening to a podcast and something will happen in just one ear. Because even as a listener, it'll kind of turn me to, you know, the side. Uh, and good audio story, storytelling can do that. There was um, a running application, which I think still exists, but I haven't used it for a few years, called, I think, Zombies Run, that you would take out on a run and it would have a, a radio play where that you were a character in, basically, people sending you on missions. And I would find when the zombies would show up and you would hear their noise, I would pick up my pace and I would be looking over my shoulder, even though I knew I was just out trying to get my three miles in to try and stay in shape. Uh, that sound, even if I was tired, I would start running faster and start taking little peaks. And uh, I love that when uh, when a, a medium can do that, you know, and it, it, it happens in, in more than just audio. Audio certainly, I think, has a visceral reaction, but I like horror as a genre, and I, you know, there's nothing better than sitting down with a horror book that has me then jumping anytime, you know, I hear a creak in the house or something like that, that the, the writer's words have created that state in, my, in me where I know I'm completely safe, but I'm still terrified. Mm. Um, do you have a takeaway or offering for our listeners um, about sort of creativity or being creative and inspiration? I do. And I'm going to offer the same gift that I am trying again and again to give myself, and I continue to not take it, which is you can write a bad first draft. You can create a bad first version. It's okay. It's not bad. It's just on its way to being something else. And it is something that I am learning again and again and again, and I still haven't learned it. Um, My son, at his recent parent-teacher conference, when they asked him the things he wanted to work on, he said that. He said, I want to write faster. And what he meant was he wants to get the first draft out faster. And he said it, and it was like a little arrow going straight into my own heart. Like, I felt like I was being seen, even though it wasn't my conference. (laughs) It was like, yes, I would like that for myself, too. And I think the ability to write the first draft faster comes from a place of self-love and self-acceptance, where you were saying, let me just get this out on the paper, and it is okay. It's not perfect. It's not even maybe what I consider good yet, but it is just where it needs to be at this point in time. And that's what I think my big creative journey, to learn what you're putting out is what it's supposed to be at this moment in time. And then you can go back and fix it later. Put it in the drawer and wait. Give it some space and time. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And give yourself some space and time. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of creativity is about self-acceptance. It's about learning 
and learning, not just learning who, but learning to celebrate who we are at this point in our life and that the things and the stories that we are telling are where they are supposed to be at that moment. But it's a, it's a very hard lesson. I'm constantly relearning it. Thank you. Um, before we wrap up, I'm going to take a slight pivot just for a moment because you're a fellow horse person. Yes. Um, and I work with horses. Um, both I both partner with them as I ride them, and I also partner with them as coaches, um, as co-coaches in the work that I do with creative people. And before we started recording, you and I had a, had a quick conversation about um, how horses bring us into the present tense. And I was wondering if you could just say a little bit about that from your perspective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't start to learn to ride horses until I was an adult. It was something I had always wanted to do, but I just didn't have the the opportunity. And uh, at the time I started learning, Claremont Stables was still open here in Manhattan. So I learned to ride at, at Claremont. And what I very quickly learned was that when you were riding a horse, you have to stay in that moment. You cannot start to think about anything else because the horse will know and the horse will happily take advantage of it because the horse is always in the moment. And I found it was the best therapy that I could possibly have asked for. I am a worrier. My brain goes to really things that are kind of ridiculous to worry about, but I go there anyway. And for that half hour or hour lesson, however long it was, I couldn't. I had to just stay in that moment and just be, you know, uh, with the animal, listening to what my body was doing, listening to what the, the horse was doing. And it, it is the greatest gift. And, and the other thing I remember learning from the years taking lessons at Claremont and, you know, taking lessons now whenever I do, is that I remember standing next to one of the horses one day, and it was one of their little short, stocky ones with short legs and a big belly. And I was just petting her and thinking how beautiful she was and how much I loved her. And she was perfect. And I had one of those moments where I was like, you know, all of the horses here are different shapes and sizes. And they do some things well, and they do other things not well, and they're all different. And yet you love them all equally. They are all perfect in your eyes. Wouldn't it be lovely if you could take that same adoration and spread it out, not just to yourself, but all of the people in, in your life, that it is not about looking a certain way or being able to do something a certain way. It is just about loving and celebrating for the unique individual that, that each of us are. And uh, so that has been a great philosophical lesson that I got standing in the, the teeny tiny ring at Claremont uh, holding <laughs> I don't even remember which horse that was. Blossom, maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> but she was perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I find that. I find that and that it, um, when I come back from, from being with horses, that that spontaneity we were talking about in terms of first draft creation, yes. um, it can arrive easier, if you will, um, because yes. I'm out of my own way. Do you find that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're just left in such a, a good emotional space that it's, yeah, it's easier to sit down. I feel more open. I feel more fearless about being vulnerable. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's incredible therapy. They are extraordinary creatures and we are so very lucky to share this planet with them. 
So before we wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience before we close this episode out? The other tidbit I'll add for those who go to uncannycounty.com to give a listen for the episodes is that um, just as everything shut down in 2020, we did a series of, I think, six little short vignettes, uh, kind of as an extra gift for our listeners because the world had gone crazy. And uh, so those are not full episodes. Those, those are just little vignettes that probably are uh, make the most sense to people who have listened to the show. But season one and season two are clearly marked on the website, and you can listen to any of those half-hour episodes in any order you desire. The ones I wrote are Mother Loves You, uh, Rainbow Magic Kittens, The Ridgeway Motel, and Our Better Angels. But all of the episodes are great. I recommend all of them. And there are also these snack-sized Yes, um, yes, the snack-sized well. ones I wrote most of, um, and then uh, their little, yeah, five-minute little vignettes that we wrote just in uh, March and April of 2020. But, uh, but yeah, please give a listen to Uncanny County. Uh, Raising Dion, my son's show, if I can do a plug for him, is on Netflix. And for listeners who might have small children, uh, he is also the voice of Otis the Tractor on Get Rolling with Otis which is a very sweet cartoon aimed at the preschool set that uh, you can see on Apple Plus TV. How wonderful. Yeah, so Uncounty County, and I'll put the links in the show notes. Um, thank you, Nicole, for joining me here today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Oh, thank you. This has been such a joy. And even talking about horses has put me into that space. So I'm going to go sit down at the keyboard now and see what things come out. Isn't that fascinating? Even just thinking about them when you have that connection. So anybody yeah. out there who hasn't had a chance to connect with a horse, let me know. I can even do that with you virtually. So you can experience a little bit of that um, connection and space and um, compassion that they offer us. Yeah. yeah. So thank you, Nicole. And for people who are listening, you can connect with Story and Horse on Instagram and Facebook at Story and Horse and on the Story and Horse website, storyandhorse.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode and I look forward to you being with us for the next one. And again, Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was great fun. Thanks for being with us today. Please help us spread the word by subscribing and sharing this podcast with friends. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode.